you doing, Father Anthony? I'm doing good. I'm super tired. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. We were just talking for the podcast, and I'm like, Father Anthony's tired. Did he just wake up from a nap? And of course, I had my sure pre-podcast enough. nap. I also did a, a smash, a double shot of espresso. So we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And also, nice. podcasting always energizes me. But how are That's you doing, true. Father Harrison? I'm doing great. I, I see you saw a movie on Monday. <laughs> I did. I, I did. I walked into a, a theater by my parents' house, yep. and I said, one ticket for Joker, please. <laughs> and I saw the uh, the Joker movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you uh, saw it like five times? Twice. Just And twice. you're like, wow, we really do live in a society now, don't we? Yes. I, I saw it. Well, I saw it on Monday uh. with a friend, so I didn't go alone. Oh. My, my friend, Father David, who is a listener of the podcast. Hello, oh. Father David. Uh, yeah, we went to, we both really, really loved it. And uh, we were down in Victoria because we both had Presbyteral Council on Tuesday. So we, uh, we decided, and it was Thanksgiving Monday for us down here in Canada, up here in Canada. Oh, happy so, fake Thanksgiving. Yeah, it pretty much is fake Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm not going to fight that one. <laughs> <laughs> it is 100% fake Thanksgiving. Uh, I didn't even get any turkey. So, I mean, come on. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we went to go see it, and I have to say, you know, first for those faithful viewers who don't want another Batman episode, we're not going to do it. We're no. going to talk a little bit about it here. Just it a little really, bit in the banter. Because it was so darn good. It was, though. It was, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was very good. It was the best movie I've seen this year, and I, I, I mean that sincerely. I haven't seen a lot of movies this year. It might be probably the best. Right. So, what do you okay. think? Uh, uh, so many things. First, a couple small details that I noticed the second time around. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that the you know at the end when he's putting on the makeup and he's looking at a picture of his mother. Yes. And he turns it on the back. Did you see what it said on the back of the photo? Oh, uh, uh, John Blevins pointed this out to me. Yeah. It says like something like uh, love his smile. I, I love I love your smile. I love your smile. Or love your smile. Love your smile. Love, love your, your smile. smile. T.W. T.W. Does that mean Thomas Wayne? Did I think he, it does. Did he write it? Did she write it? Right. What does that mean? Uh, this Ooh. is true. This is true. Yes. This, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about this film is it works really hard for ambiguity mm-hmm. so that you can kind of... Yeah. Anyways, so that was one of the interesting details. And this is something uh, Father Michael Lilydale uh, pointed out to us in the priest DM. Uh, the end of the film. Yes. Is the entire film just a joke in his head? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You Which don't know. was huge. I, I I still lean that this is a real event, mm-hmm. but when I saw it the second time, it was it was a really interesting way to look at it because his laugh is so authentic at the end. Yes. Right. It, it's it's. I just thought of a joke. You wouldn't get it. And maybe the whole film is a joke. Now, it's also getting super meta here for a second. Todd yeah. Phillips, the director of the film, was initially a comedic director. Right, yeah. All he yeah. did was comedies. He did like the like, hangover he did, like, old, stuff. The hangover, old school, mm-hmm. all these kind of early 2000 classics. Um, so my question was, is the is it kind of like a meta moment of of him just trying to kind of say gotcha to Hollywood and it's actually a joke in a meta way right so yes but anyways okay uh, some big themes that I I noticed the kind of there's like almost like a critique against the enlightenment in this film the enlightenment says that uh, we can persuade people through argument and reason right 
And what the Joker does, I mean, it's it's kind of like an interesting kind of backdrop to Batman too, but it, what it does is it shows you that the power of symbol over rhetoric and argument. Yes. There's Thomas Wayne making what we would kind of consider reasonable comments or maybe not so reasonable, but he's making, he's trying to make an, a persuasion about a worldview and the Joker does none of that. It's his actions, right? That mm-hmm. become a symbol of things and the power of like, and I'm not talking about symbol. Like we mean, like it's not a reality. No, a symbol actually is something incredibly real and substantive. And that's why I, I always struggle when people say the Eucharist is a symbol. I'm like, yeah, you're using the word symbol, not properly, but anyways, mm-hmm. um, but this power of symbol to unite, that's actually what the Greek word means, symbolon, right? It means to unite two broken pieces. So that is what he's doing. So I'll, the other, the big thing too is that what I'd call like being othered. Yes. Right? So your actions, your words can, like when Thomas Wayne calls those people clowns, right? Stuff mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. There is this othering that happens that creates a, a division between man and, and within man. And the third thing briefly was, and actually this is something I noticed even more in the second, in the second viewing. Uh, I'm a big Rene Girard fan about like mimetic theory, this idea that human beings by their nature imitate things yeah, to, to become themselves or to, to grow into themselves, et cetera. And that's a big theme in the whole film. But I really noticed this because um, when he's go- about to go on the Murray Frank show, he's in his room, he's replaying the tape over and over again. He's walking yeah. it. He's imitating what this actor does, yeah. right? Everything he does is imitation, but then the moment that he kind of comes to himself, if you will, and he kind of embraces his worldview, he throws all that out the window yes. and becomes this new symbol that other people will now imitate. He kind of goes above and beyond uh, the the functions of the world and and says, I'm now going to be someone who moves things rather than be a part of the machine. Mm-hmm. And there was just a zillion other things. Sorry. Yeah, no, go it's ahead. good. So it's, uh, a few things. And I, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Like one of his main complaints, Joker's main complaints throughout the movie is that he's not seen, he's not heard. He doesn't even know if he's really alive. And that is kind of like the struggle for his identity. But Mm -hmm. by the end of the movie, there actually is no resolution. So he's adopted this Joker identity, I think fully. I mean, he is the Joker by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. But he's still not seen, he's still not heard because he's not Joker, he is this symbol for other people. They take up this mantle of Joker and kind of form, you know, the, all these riots and stuff, but he's still not his own. Yeah. And so there's no salvation there. And mm-hmm. if you look at the whole movie, it's, it's basically nihilistic. And so there's no yeah. like redemption. It's just, it's, it was a reminder that their evil does not bring about redemption. In any sort Although of way. I, I would argue that there was a quasi resurrection scene at the end. Well, see, uh, with the with light the cop at the car. end. With, no, with the cop car. Oh, so maybe he like, like there he was becomes... like there was like an imitation of the Pieta as he's limply taken out of yes. the car and placed on on the cop car on the hood and everything. But I, it's it a, it's kind a, of a... yeah, but if you look at it, it's a dark parody of resurrection. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely, so, absolutely. And like okay. the scene at the end where he's in the hospital and he's bathed in light at the very end. But that's mm-hmm. I I th- I thought. Tell me if you th- if you saw the same thing. That lighting is the same lighting that's used in all of his like fantasy scenes. Whenever he starts oh, interesting. Uh, fantasizing about something, the lights change, the colors get a little bit more vibrant, and it's the same sort of thing that's happening there. Okay, so I even his redemption at the end is kind of a parody. It's a fantasy yeah. in his own mind. And the yeah, one thing just about that I'm fascinated with is there's more and more nihilistic entertainment mm-hmm. that entertainment-wise is good for like um, 
for example, uh, the Netflix series BoJack Horseman or Rick and Morty or the just Joker thing yeah. that are so popular. But the problem with them is that they have these nihilistic conclusions, but they're afraid to stare at them for too long, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even at the end of, like, whenever there were these, like, kind of funny moments or l- moments that that lifted up the Joker. So he's going down the stairs, and you've got yeah. the, the that theme playing, and it's kind of like a you know, fun song. Uh, th- but then it goes back into the dark cello music as a reminder mm-hmm. that this is a sick, depraved man. But at the mm-hmm. end of the movie, they end with the Frank Sinatra song, and they don't go back to the cello music because right. there's something about facing the reality of how evil this man is and how the city is in chaos and nothing's been redeemed that you don't quite want to look at, Yeah, which I found interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's a really good movie. There's a lot it, to it. There's this, that, that I think... Uh, so my whole hesitation with the film yeah by the way welcome to clerically speaking i guess yeah <laughs> i'm father harrison i'm father anthony <laughs> nine minutes in uh i i was when i first saw the trailer i thought oh my gosh it's gonna be some sort of origin story that's gonna try and explain away the evil and and it's gonna ruin the joker yeah and I still, th- but it didn't do that. I don't like, think it did either. I went, I went to go see it out of curiosity, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I did not have high expectations. I did not foresee it being what it was. Mm-hmm. And Joaquin Phoenix was masterful. Like his whole, like the whole Murray Frank scene at the end, yeah, was brilliant. It was like I liked it. It was so good. Like there's no music. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Right. He just totally embraces the character. Uh, it was it was brilliant acting. It was uh, because like I have this this problem that in, in contemporary society we like to kind of explain away evil. Yeah. Oh, they're mentally ill because we and we say this as almost like a scapegoatism because we don't actually want to deal with the reality that someone can actually just choose to be evil mm-hmm. and they can choose horrible things. And that's one of the principal characteristics of the Joker, right? Um and I think that's something the film actually another thing that the film kind of really gets off too is this whole um in a way because of all the inter intermixing of fantasy in the film. Mm-hmm it kind of builds on the the mythos of the Joker that he doesn't really know his whole, his own origin himself. Yeah. He's lost it, right? He is, he is an unperson, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole idea. And so it was just, uh, yeah. I could, yeah. So I'll just say one more thing just, and yeah. we'll get into, into the regular clerically speaking. But, um, I did actually appreciate the nods to, uh, the, the Batman, um, universe and yeah. the way they played with it but in a way that was was good so in this movie yeah. it's really not Batman who creates the Joker it's the Joker who creates, who Batman. creates Batman and yep. I was fascinated because Bruce Wayne's in the movie briefly and you have no idea what he's thinking or feeling he's the mm-hmm. least least amount of acting is done by this kid who just is kind mm-hmm. of there so you don't know what's going on with him yeah. but like the um, Bruce Wayne and Alfred and the uh, different spin on their characters. Yep. And because they kept the ambiguity in there with regards to his storyline, it works. It works for the Joker. It works as a comic book movie as well as a movie yeah. about all the 
evils that are in our time, the problem mm-hmm. of evil, um, yeah. lack of empathy in society, class struggles. There's a lot in there. So it was it's yeah. worth seeing did, just for the conversation, I think. Did you uh, notice the little nod to Heath Ledger in the film? Oh, right. When he's uh, in the, the, the uh, police car scene? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just, like, I saw it and instantaneously. I knew what they were nodding to. Quick thing, like, just the last, okay, last, last thing. Okay. Um, did you listen to the Sub Beacon this week? I did, of course. Okay, good, good. I have a second question with that in a second. Yeah. But uh, the first question is, well, first, my name got dropped. Yeah. Yes, it did, of course. That, I was very you happy about that. You are the priest of the Sub Beacon. This is true. This is true. Um, but I was, uh, Jonathan made a really, really great point about how there's something about the Superman and Batman universe that it's so expansive that you can take these twists on usual canon. Like, Thomas Wayne's kind of a jerk in this film. Yeah. And and he, he that is not the Thomas Wayne of the comic books. And all these little twists, like, like, like Jonathan says, you know, Alfred's kind of a pansy and stuff like yeah. this. Like, he, that's not the Alfred of the comic books. No. Uh, but they did it without losing the universe it was it's hard to do and i i just have mad props for for todd phillips with this film my second thing though is with all this is i hate you yes yes i hate you yes you do why do you hate me why do you hate my greatness i i I, it was a struggle for me to even want to come and do this with you today (laughs) yes because can i can i explain why yes yeah yeah, so uh jvl who's a good friend of yours right yes and uh, he's on the sub beacon. He does uh, work for the Bulwark. He's uh, a great mind, a great entertainer, good podcaster, great writer. Yeah. And he has started his own little project called the JVL Show on Patreon. Yep. And excellent content, kind of very casual, long form interviews about stuff mm-hmm. that he likes. Yep. And uh, Father Harrison, I was on the show last week. I know. Before you were. He barely know. knows me. I know. <laughs> Now, to be fair, yes, he actually like his at the introduction of the episode. He said he did this for one reason mm-hmm. to troll me, and it was beautiful, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. But you know, yeah, there was, it was a fun episode. Uh, check it out on Patreon. It's it's a fun show. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a lot of banter. It was good. It was good. Do you know who else bantered a lot? I'm sure because he he was he was. He he lectured to four. He dictated to four scribes at once. Mm-hmm. So he answered a lot, really. Yeah. We'll say Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica. Summa Theologica. Summa Theologica. Summa Theologica. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. The first one, Catholic News Agency. Mm. The, quote, e-rosary, unquote, bracelet is activated by making the sign of the cross and is synced to an app that tracks the user's progress and contains reflections. It is on pre-order sale for roughly $109. No. Bullhick. Bullhicky. No. This is bad. 
Did you read this the article? Because I didn't read the article. I just no, saw I did headline. not read the article. I, I just saw it. I'm like, I don't even need to read the article because I know this is bad. I am judging a book by its. I'm judging a rosary by its cover. <laughs> this is bad. We we need less technology, not more. Right, like a hundred dollars for like the beautiful thing about the rosary, or one of the beautiful things about the rosary is yeah. it's simple. Right, mm-hmm. it gets mm-hmm. you out of a screen. The whole point of the rosary exactly. is that you don't even need a book. Is yeah. that you've got the beads, you've got the prayers, you can meditate, and like this whole this is disappointing. I mean, it's not a big yes. deal. So, but here's my other thing: okay. my rugged rosary can beat the e rosary up. Absolutely, right. So much better I saw investment. That. <laughs> exactly for uh, half the price. Not even half the yeah. price. Like forty percent of the price. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I was just. Ugh, this is we don't need this we do not need this and also and, like tracking okay so the uh, e-rosary bracelet is activated by making the sign of the cross which yeah. okay kind of neat that's kind of cool kind of cool no doubt okay and it's synced with the app click to pray e-rosary that tracks the user's progress it's like okay no no no. prayer isn't about racking up points yeah and this is this is a struggle that i have because i've been playing video games all my life it's very yeah. easy to like get in your okay if i go to this holy hour i get 10 points of holiness and if i do this i get like 10 points of virtue and that's not mm-hmm. how this thing works right because mm-hmm. you're, you're taking prayer and making it a bit of an idol mm-hmm. instead of this is the method i use to grow closer to the person of jesus christ and mm-hmm. so it becomes all about the thing and not about jesus himself and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a thing that happens to a lot of us that we make prayer into an idol when we're like it's just about checking a box it's just about getting an achievement it's like no no no, yeah. no. this is about Jesus Christ so yep. I, I don't like this at all yeah amen I, we're on the same page cool all right let's get something else here get off that article uh, this is from Steve the mission uh, Steve the quitter sad at Steve the missionary rest in peace Steve's videos on YouTube. And he says, I saw a commercial for the literal Masons that said, we help men be the best version of themselves. And I decided we need to delete this from pop Catholic vocabulary. Steve, welcome to the club, man. We've been on this train for a long time and we're glad to have you aboard. Yes, we've been early. We've been early adopters of the train. Right. So the problem, like, so first of all, Masons, you can't be a Catholic and a Mason. Nope. I mean, there are a few things the popes have condemned as often as masonry, but also yeah. the whole idea of being the best version of yourself becomes about that leads to a self-help, self-fulfillment kind of aspect of Christianity, which is not mm-hmm. the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity yeah. is being saved by Jesus Christ. And yeah. indeed, on a certain level, and this is what this phrase is trying to get at, that holiness does not destroy the person it makes you into the person god created you to be so there's i see the attempt there but the thing is words mean things Mm -hmm. and we have to talk about catholic things in a catholic way because if you don't it can lead you into all kind of like subtle goofiness that can really screw up your spiritual life so no the the best version of yourself thing we can be done with this okay i don't know i don't care how many free books your parish has go throw (laughs) them all in the fire right there are better books so i'm not a fan so Two things with this. First, I saw something just yesterday. It was a, it was like on the cover of a Protestant book uh-huh. about, it was kind of going about the same thing. Oh, yeah. How discovering your purpose determines your usefulness for the kingdom. Yikes. Right? And I was just like, this is our problem. And 
we are we've discovered way too like we this whole self-helpery stuff is just wrong because it's not about it's not about finding a personal fulfillment in a way mm-hmm. that happens but that's secondary right the yeah. the, the, Christ, the christian life is about self-gift mm-hmm. that is that is about giving yourself away so that's my one beef the other problem is with the best version of yourself it I feel like it's a very it can determine a very whitewashed view of um, a very whitewashed view of of the spiritual life, and what by this I mean uh, a well best version of myself means that I am going to have good income, I'm going to have all these virtues in place, and I think about some of the greats like I think about some saints of the church like I, I forget his name but there's a Chinese saint who was an opioid addict to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. Because saintliness has nothing to do with how whitewashed your life looks. It has everything, and and like clinically perfect everything is. And it has everything to do with serving and obeying God in your life and following him as best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so so Sunday, uh, St. John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman was declared a saint. And Pope Francis... Issued a tweet. <gasps> Did you see this? Yes. Yeah, this is so good. Today we give thanks to the Lord for our new saints. They walked by faith, and now we invoke their intercession. Now, unbeknownst to whoever one runs the papal Twitter account, uh-huh. uh, when you put hashtag saints in, what do you get? You get the symbol, the, the logo for the saints, the football team. That's right. And that's and what's so, in the tweet. <laughs> and guess who won that Sunday? The Saints. The Saints, because they had the Pope on their side, apparently. Yeah. And it was hilarious. I Do what? That was, this is where Twitter gets really good. Where no one's poking fun at everyone. You know, a, an honest mistake happened that created an amazing joke. Yes. That so many people had. I, and this, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed in, in Twitter. Yeah. Because I came up with a great response to this, and people were just like, "Meh." I, 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 what was your response? This is your podcast. Think, Read it. Yeah. Instead of I said instead of invoke their intercession, I think you mean invoke their interception. Hey, what a good joke, Father Harrison. I was everyone I was listening proud of that. is laughing so hard right now. <laughs> so wow. hard, they are laughing. Like <laughs> we're done. That is the platonic uh, form of joke. Anyways, yeah. No, but it was. It was a lot of fun, and people were resp- responding like "who dat" to the Pope and everything, and it was just the, it was that's what Twitter's good for, folks, mm-hmm. laughing like that. Okay, so let's do one from Tommy Ty at the G is silent. Today we got the usual. Please be seated for a few announcements, but instead of the usual bulletin reading, the announcement was a request to stop giving so much background info in the confessional, <laughs> and I just enjoyed it so much. Quote, just say your sins and be quiet, unquote, our pastor. That's intense. <laughs> Applause from Father Harrison. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, this is, this is, this is a thing. This is a thing. So, with regular, usually Saturday confessions or whatever your weekly confessions are, this, this can be a bit of a problem. Because the problem with giving too much background is a few things. 
one, a lot of times you're not talking about your sins at all. You end up talking about other people or other people's sins. Another thing that I, I notice is a lot of times people, not purposefully, but what they're doing is kind of explaining away their sins sometimes, mm-hmm. where they set up this scenario, whether it's true or false, that almost leads them to believe that I basically had to sin because this person was being really annoying and I lost my patience and blah, 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 blah. And that's not what this is about. This is about your sins. Sin is an act of the will. It's ultimately Mm -hmm. something that you chose. So you confess your sin openly and honestly. And it's from that place of open and honesty that you're best ready to receive the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the background of this, you know, to like, Confess your sins simply and plainly. If the priest needs more context, then you'll ask. And sometimes like this will happen. I think I might have mentioned this before. Sometimes when people talk about like, oh, I sinned against purity. It's like, okay, that can mean a thousand different things. That could mean, you know, a sin by yourself. That could mean um, adultery. in your head. Was that? Some people mean by that a thought. Yeah, a thought. That that, that could mean like you haven't showered in a month. (laughs) You know, that's impure. So... I'll ask something to get like name your sin, okay? Yeah. Um, so that's that's important. Now, what do you think about this format of doing this as a as a bulletin announcement? Because that part, I'm like, I don't know if that's the best place to do that. No, I don't think. But, but he didn't do it. Did he? I thought he said it at the end of mass. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not a bulletin announcement, but in the place of like announcements at the end of mass. I would, I would, I would try to include it in a homily. I think so too to give context. But but but, but at the same time. People like to tune out at the homily time, even though they say they want good preaching. And if, even if they're getting good preaching, they want to tune out. So do you think people tune in more to the announcements at the end of mass? Sometimes, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I do think like doing something like that because it's so unexpected, it might reach other people. But right. in general, I think probably making this the a homily, homily would be better. Yeah. But, yep. but what he's trying to do, I totally get and think it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, So let's head to Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. Yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. So I'm going to attempt at a topic that producer Nick begged us months ago to do. Yes. He's occasionally, he's months. talked to me about this almost since we started the podcast here and there. Yeah. Uh, and it was a simply question. Why do we worship God? Why do we worship God? Yes. Why do we worship God? It's a good God? question. We, it is a good question. What would you, how would you answer that question, Father Anthony? How would I answer that question? Well, I'm hoping you're going to get more into it. <laughs> well, yes, we are. I'm, just, I'm but, trying but, to create dialogue. Yes. I'm trying to create dialogue. Because, yes, yes. you know, okay. we're a church about dialogue. But I don't want, want to steal all your thunder <laughs> with my perfect answer that I have already prepared and not thinking off the top of my head right now. But I would say the worship <laughs> of God is the love of God. It is okay. how we love God most perfectly and how he loves us most perfectly. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I think that's kind of going to get to the heart of what we want to get to. We worship God because um, we are meant to be with God. And worship worship attempts to break or to reestablish a community that's been broken. Mm. In the at least, let me rephrase that a bit. Because it's true, even in heaven, God is worshiped. But I would say it's differently because for us, it, it, it seems like it's not something we naturally do. It's not would something we... Well, there's always... I think there's a, a deep human intuition to worship. 
There's right. a spirit, like, because you look at all cultures, there's always some sort of religious activity directed toward God that is, at least mm-hmm. on its surface, not for ourselves. Right. There is a history of... Or it of, is. Well, there is. A, it is in a way, right? Right. There is gotta, a way. Got to appease the gods so we get a good crop this season. Right, 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 right. So, I mean, there's <laughs> that dynamic. There's always that yeah. dynamic. But in general, yeah. there's like, we have to do something for God. The reasons yeah. might be selfish, but it's something right. directed toward God, right? Right. So, I thought I, I did a, a little bit of pre-reading today. Uh, we're obviously going to go... We, we need like a Ratzinger bumper or something like that because... <laughs> Because <laughs> I think our next few episodes are going to be all Ratzinger. The, 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 his name gets dropped a lot. In yeah. There. Uh, so I, I, I was rereading some of uh, Spirit of the Liturgy here. So I thought it kind of gives some good bullet points on, on this question. And so just to kind of start it off, what he does is he looks at, so in the 1920s, in the liturgical movement that was going on in the church at the time, it was very interesting, actually. I've been reading up on this, obvious, on him, obviously, for my thesis, and um when they're talking about the Second Vatican Council, like Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document of liturgy, mm-hmm. passed so quickly and with, with so little resistance. Right. Everyone was already on board with the liturgical movement of the 19th. And it had, it had helped because Pius XII had already kind of codified some of it in his papacy. But still, it was very interesting. But anyways, this liturgical movement uh, that kind of culminates in the council start to look at, at liturgy through the terms of play. Have you heard about this before? Yeah, I got a little bit of it in seminary. Um, yeah. Not formally, but a lot of the priests were all about it in some of their homilies yeah. and describing liturgy as either yeah. a play or even as a dance. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's similar kind of ideas. And part of this is, comes from, there's a Greek word to describe the interpenetration of the three persons of the Trinity called perichoresis, and it means a dance, a play, an interpenetration between the three parties. So uh, Pope Benedict, or Ratzinger says this, because he was Ratzinger when he wrote it. The point of the analogy was that a game has its own rules, right? sets up its own world, which is in force from the start of play, but then, of course, is suspended at the close of play. A further point of similarity was that play, though it has a meaning, does not have a purpose, and that for this very reason, there is something healing, even liberating about it. Play takes us out of the world of daily goals and their pressures and into a sphere free of purpose and of and achievement, releasing us for, for a time from all the burdens of our daily world of work. Play is a kind of other world, an oasis of freedom, where for a moment we can let life flow freely. And I think there there is a truth there. Like if you just think about something like baseball, mm-hmm. um, there is no real purpose to it. Can, real, I, like, can I use a more uh, Catholic yeah. sport, if you will? Which is? This was my experience of playing uh, ultimate frisbee in seminary oh, okay. on my, on, uh, during my summers. So we had this yeah. like a uh, pickup league of uh, ultimate mm-hmm. frisbee during the summers, and I so looked forward to it because you're doing a lot mm-hmm. of stuff as a seminarian, and over mm-hmm. the summer you're reflecting over the year, you're trying to fit yourself into the parish, and there's all these stressors. But once you started playing ultimate frisbee, all you cared about was that frisbee floating in front of you and do I need to dive to catch it and you're aware of the rules and it really is like when you're really involved mm. in a game it takes you out of yourself and out of the the time and the world that you're in into something else and why do you do it because it's good because it's fun yeah. it doesn't need a, a an end to itself so right. I, every time i read i've read the beginning of Spirit of the Liturgy maybe like five times. I've never gone through the whole book. <laughs> but every time I read it, I start thinking about a Frisbee floating in front yeah. of my face, and that's all I yeah. cared about in that moment. I Yeah, I played a lot of um, Ultimate Frisbee when I was um, uh, 
when I was in uh, university. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing with really any sport. Yeah. What's the point of going golfing? You're hitting a ball. Well, why are you hitting a ball? Because I have to get in the hole. Why are you getting in the hole? Like, ultimately, there is no reason. Yeah. The only reason is to fulfill the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. But that, but there's, that is, like, we, we, this gets back to what we were talking about with the leisure episode, right? Oh, wait, that sorry, there are sorry. Things... I have to do a quick correction. The point of playing golf is to smoke cigars and drink beer. That's actually the point of playing golf. But I get what you're trying to say. I'm talking with I'm talking about the actual purpose of the game. So that, like, that is on, that is literally on. the purpose of a game for me. <laughs> it's the only way right. I can but, enjoy it. But that's your thing. It, yeah. That's that's leisure. Yes, exactly. Right. Smoking cigars and drinking beer have I mean okay it's something enjoyable but it has no ultimate meaning. Right. Right. It's just and that's good. the whole. It's just good. It's just fun. And this is the whole idea of play and of leisure. Um, which is an important part of society. But but now, when you hear this, though, do you see limits to this idea and applying it to liturgy? So, uh, limits to this idea. I'm trying to remember what Ratzinger says, yeah. but just off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he talks, talking about he does, he does talk about it. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. I mean, but there are times where, um, I mean, there are aspects where the game can become a burden. Um, yeah. Like, for example, yes. the professional professionalization of sports or yeah. at times rules get in the way or become the focus of what's going on yeah. like <laughs> there are pitfalls in this sort of thing which to be honest are sometimes the pitfalls of liturgy as well yes in scrupulosity yes. in liturgy um in uh you can make a game just like you can make uh liturgy a, a functional thing and less of a thing that's good in and of itself uh, but i forget what does he say well, that's kind of what he gets at. That okay. that even even a even a game of some sort in the end can become a burden if it takes over our life too much, yeah. and that it has no transcendent value, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's always its limits. And it's, this is but this is actually why I think we need to have less instant replay. And I'm I'm fully against like cameras for umpires and stuff like this in baseball mm-hmm. because it removes this element of freedom from the sport and over technologizes it. Yeah. Um, it becomes a sport itself loses its leisurely quality. Yeah. So that's what he says. So then he, he kind of goes into this whole, uh, he goes into this whole little thing about the whole exodus of, of Israel from Egypt. And it's really beautiful because he's, he says that the purpose of freeing the people from Israel was what? Worship. Worship. Right. But that, do you think that's how most people look at, at the, at the story. Yeah, no. So most people, when you think of uh, freeing people from Israel, it's so they can be free. It's so they can go yes. to have their own promised land. But yes. he, he points out in scripture, it's right there, when Moses first requests that the Israelites um, leave, it's so that they can go worship at God's mountain, right? Yeah, That's exactly. the reason. And he really, really it's fascinating because he just he's just looking at the text there and time and time again, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, you can go, but you can't take your livestock. And he goes, we yeah. have to take our livestock because we don't know what God's going to ask us to do or we have to like sacrifice uh, a sheep or what kind of goat or whatever else we don't know um and some people can read that as as moses being very sort of clever and using worship as a a way to get all his stuff out of egypt as well but but i think ratsky points like no 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 no. actually look at this text it actually works just as it is exactly and and that is the big point i mean when you read it over and over again yes there's a land but the land is in service of worship exactly right because what are they going to build in that land eventually the whole point is to build the temple so you can worship god God properly right so it's all about worship and he so he says that it's actually this israel departs not in order to be a people like all the others so it's not like hey we are free just to be free Mm -hmm. 
we're, then you're just like Egypt. Yeah. You really aren't going to be any different. It's It departs in order to serve God. And actually, I, I noticed this kind of like neat little book, and we talked about his speech a uh, few months ago uh, to the representative cultures of France in 2008 about mm-hmm. the quarere deum, right? The seeking of God. And this is the same thing. Israel is being called to serve and seek God. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole point. This is the point of their departure to go to that unknown mountain and to service to, and to offer service to God. Now he goes into this whole thing between um, law and morality and, and worship, which I don't think we necessarily need to go into, but he does say that a society that doesn't worship God will ultimately lose the underpinnings of morality and law as well, mm-hmm. which is a, a very interesting little, t- little. I, w- I almost want to call it a dig at natural law theory. Uh-huh. Is this, is because this, is this um, Ratzinger is actually an integralist? Is that what no. he's saying? No? I thought, you, no? I thought you didn't care about what I integra- don't, but I feel like that's a integra- good joke to put in there. I, should, I actually should do... I need to do an episode on that one day. Um, if you do it, I'll refuse to listen because I refuse to learn what an integralist is. Well, you had to learn what modernism was. It is true. But everything's that modernism. That's what we learned. That's just true. Yes. Um, so he says this. He says, worship is the right kind of cult. And now remember, we mean by cult, we don't mean like, you know, Jonestown, but we mean yeah, not worship, jumpsuits right? and uh, yeah, spiked uh, Kool Aid, but yeah, but just like worship or uh, what do we mean by cult? We mean um, it just means that it means it means a form. It takes a particular form of worship. Thank you. Yeah, right. Essentially, so worship that is the right kind of cult of relationship with God is essential for the right kind of human existence in the world. It is precisely because it reaches beyond everyday life. And this is why we worship. This is the answer right here. Worship gives us a share in heaven's mode of existence, in the world of God, and allows light to fall from the divine world into ours. In this sense, worship, as we said when we were discussing play, has the character of anticipation. It lays hold in advance of a more perfect life, and in so doing, gives our pro- present life its proper measure. Mm-hmm. A life without such anticipation, a life no longer opened up to heaven, would be empty, a laden life. That is why there are no societies t- together lacking in cult. Even the decidedly atheistic materialistic systems create their own forms of cult, though, of course, they can only be an illusion and strive in vain by bombastic trumpeting to conceal their nothingness. So... That's that, so essentially why we worship. It's because it's about this idea of anticipating the right form of life. So it's recognizing. Remember earlier, I was talking about how worship is reestablishing a community that doesn't exist. Yes. So it's actually taking at least for us here on this earth in this veil of tears, we are in this. We are in this broken communion with God. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve screwed things up. True. Right. And they they brought about a breaking communion with God. We are we eternity has to be anticipated now because it's no longer in union with time. And so it's this. So worship is anticipating and it's looking to God to say, "I know that while I am here, things aren't in their right order. But I know if I start seeking you now, that order can start to become real here, and I can have a taste and an anticipation of the thing that is to come." Right. So it's we worship because we are it's actually how we enter into life with God. Yes. And it direct I mean it's almost like the the side effect 
is that it directs and orders our life here on earth. Yes. It's it's really like right worship will will reveal to you what is right morality, what is right governance, what is right yeah. living because you're clinging or pointing to or searching out those eternal things which yeah. then govern all these temporal things. So it's putting yes. it's actually just putting your your the whole world into right order where God yeah. comes first and then temporal things. Well and remember when we were talking about the 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 speech in France we were talking about the Benedictines obviously and there's there's a reason there is order in their life right. that there is a strict way of living because not even not even their liturgy but all their work has an order to it mm-hmm. like I, I was sharing about how the barn at the Benedictine monastery mission is facing east right, right? <laughs> it's this reason is there is this order there is this it's a an order and orientation kind of go hand in hand here and 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 so it shows that there is an importance to place. And like he's what he's trying to set up here is that there is an importance to place and time and humanity when it comes to worship. And if we lose the essential characteristics of these things, then we are going to lose what it means to worship God and thereby lose what it means to be human. Yes. Now, I have a question for you, though. Yep. Was there worship in the garden? Absolutely. Okay, but... In the garden before the fall, everything's already rightly ordered, right? Right. So yes. Okay. So worship isn't. So worship takes on a different character before exactly. the fall, after yeah. the fall, and then it becomes. I think something new also happens once you have the whole Jesus Christ on the cross thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know that thing. Yeah, which is kind of kind of a big deal. <laughs> but like even in in the fall, so uh, yeah. I mean in the garden, so. God creates this rightly ordered universe, and it becomes and then easy to worship. So the yes. the labor, uh, so basically Adam and Eve are kind of, and I would say just humanity. They're priests in the sense that they are yeah. this bridge between the spiritual and the physical. So yeah. God creates this material world, but then He creates a material creature that has an eternal soul, and so they become this mm-hmm. bridge. So by tending to the garden, which was their duty before the fall, but it was a delight before the fall. By mm-hmm. doing that, they're kind of building this bridge between the material and the spiritual and giving back to God what they have already been given. This is something that happens in worship as well. So everything that we give to God, our love, our mm-hmm. stuff, whatever, is first a gift from God. Exactly. And so it's this, God has not only created us, he's created a way for us to love him. Because this is yes. actually a problem, right? right? Because God is eternal, all good, self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything else. And he makes right. us out of his pure goodness, right? Yeah. How the heck do you repay your creator who needs nothing? He gives us the means to love him. It's right? almost like the creator needs to become us in order to offer him, us back to him. Oh, yeah. Go. Do it. Yeah. No, it's true. That's it. That's it, right? That's right. why. We can't actually – this is a big point. We actually can't offer anything back proper. Right. So he gives us, it now at, at Mass, he gives yeah. us his very self. And yeah. it's really it really comes through in the prayers after the consecration, where mm-hmm. we're asking God to look upon the sacrifice you've given us. And the sacrifice yeah. you've given us, it's Jesus Christ on the altar right there. We just consecrated. Yeah. He, there he yeah. is. Yeah. And so God sees his son, which is the only worthy gift of the Father, and this all happens in the Spirit. So we're caught up into the eternal love of the Trinity God's yeah. given us a sufficient and beautiful way of loving him back. Yes. And this is the other thing. So there's a few things with this. Okay. Um, one is, in a way, 
I speak this poetically, obviously, but in a way, this is what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do for each other as well. They worship each other in a way. Yeah. So God is not demanding something of us that isn't within himself first. Mm -hmm. In fact, now this is the other interesting thing is that Ratzinger makes this point that God has rights to our worship. <laughs> yeah. And and it's for a very simple reason. This is one. This is actually a, a theme I'm starting to really notice with Ratzinger is creatureliness, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to get... A little technical here for a second. He uses, I, I, I've come up with a phrase to understand his his kind of theology of creation, and it, it's what I'd call an ontology of insufficiency. So by this, I mean that a creature, by their very nature, is unable to be the source of themselves mm -hmm. or to find their fulfillment within themselves at all. That there needs to be a something extra that comes to them in order for them to be themselves, which is gr the life of grace with God. Mm-hmm. This got interrupted, like this was kind of given to Adam and Eve at the beginning, and then it was lost. And so we experienced this kind of pain and this whole, and this almost blackness within us mm -hmm. because of the reality of sin and death. So Ratzinger's big thing is that as a creature, we by our very nature have to give back to God what is due because without him, we literally cannot be. And mm -hmm. so God has a right to it in the sense that he's the creator. He has he has rights over all of it. But this gets to another thing that is equally important. And I think it's something that he kind of ends his whole thing with worship. Now, because do we, is worship something that we create ourselves? Oh, so it's definitely something we have tried to create ourselves, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's the whole goal of of pagan religion uh is an attempt to make something for god or to search out god it's ultimately our own activity to yeah. achieve our enlightenment or wherever else you want to put it but that's always insufficient right so and yeah and so he kind of goes into this at the end right he's talking about the golden calf and all this stuff about how um where where he says, like, there is a series of very impressive testimonies to the truth that the liturgy is not a matter of what you please, mm -hmm. which is so often how we, because I, I mean, like, when people say we need to do this in the liturgy, we need to do that, what we're saying, what we're actually saying is, I don't believe in God enough to trust that what he has revealed liturgy to be and its purpose to actually be effective. Right. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing that we're, if you take the focus off of God, to yourself in order to fulfill yourself you actually yeah. end up being more empty right the only way to be fulfilled as a human being because we're empty is to have the focus and the trust mm -hmm. on god right it's his and paradox. so yeah yeah and so what he goes into is like what what um what happens when we create our own worship it becomes a a it kind of closed circle where it becomes like, again, you look at the whole thing and the whole scene. I can't help but think of the movie, the 10 commandments when I think of this scene. Right. And it's kind of, um, it is a very sensual thing and it's all about fulfilling yourself. It's all about creating your own ecstasy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, if you ever go to any big concerts, it's like that, right? It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's got this whole element of, of this own self worship within it all. But at the heart of that is we're saying, I, cause he's saying that actually liturgy actually has to be revealed to us. Mm -hmm. There is a reason that the letter to the Hebrew speaks about the imprint of, of the, the blueprint of the temple in heaven and how the worldly, the, the earthly temple was just a, a shadow mm -hmm. of the real temple in heaven. Um, 
Ezekiel talks about this when it, with regards to the temple. Um, and the history of the liturgy itself speaks to a revealed quality that's been there from the beginning that we did not create ourselves. Right. Now, it's, now the church, by virtue of her nature, by virtue of her authority, has the ability to dictate certain forms of the Mass over time. Right. But the like, if the church ever said, we don't need the Eucharist for the Mass, then I'll be like, yeah, no, you can't do that. You have no authority. Right, exactly. And the church herself would say that, mm-hmm. really, right? Because she is a steward of the gift that we have received, which is that there is an essential structure of being addressed by God through his word mm-hmm. and, and being lifted up into Jesus's worship of the Father on the cross. Christ gives back to God what is his due. Mm-hmm which is his creation, but he can only off. How can you pay back something infinite with something finite? That's why God has to become incarnate. Yeah. It's a way of fulfilling the justice. So in a way I kind of flip flop with this idea a lot. I, you can make the argument that this, that the incarnation was always going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what right? makes it kind of convincing this yeah. part. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. So like even, so the temple, the temple itself, when it was made, it was designed to look like the garden. Because in the garden, things were perfectly ordered. And the idea was of worship was to get the universe back into right order. And that was the whole yeah. plan for Israel. By having this nation that was in right order towards God, she would become a beacon, a magnet, a light to the nations so that the world would gather around her to enter back into right worship. But that never yeah. quite, quite works. Um, and even if you were to have that, even in the garden, there's, there's almost a sense that something was missing, that something mm-hmm. was incomplete. Yep. It was like, it was a preparation, it feels like, and this is just a, a spiritual reflection uh, of, mm-hmm. of that something else was going to happen. Like you even have the, mm-hmm. you have the tree, uh, the tree of life that's in the garden that wasn't eaten from. Yeah. And that's the reason why uh, God casts them out of the garden is because they're not ready to eat from that tree. And the right. church fathers have a field day with this because that tree oh, ends man. up being the cross and the fruit is Jesus right. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So, and with that, um, so this is a little pet theory of mine. Yeah. A little theological excursus. Um, when I was writing my MDiv synthesis, a question that was kind of haunting me at the time is how does the fall and evolution go together? Oh my goodness. Are, are you becoming Chardin? No. Okay. No, gosh, no, gosh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I kept on thinking about this because like, how, because it's in a sense, if, if, if sin brings death, how is it that death pre-exists man? Uh, okay, yeah, I see the problem. Right? right. That, that's that's the problem that's going through my head at mm-hmm. least, okay? So I, I kind of, and I've been doing a little side reading on this. There's a few other people who've kind of supported this idea. It's essentially that when the fall of the angels happens, mm-hmm. they bring the created order down with them. Because mm. they're and a part man, of the created order. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So man is born into, while he's not fallen, he's born into a cosmos that already has death and decay in it. Mm -hmm. But he himself is not fallen. And I actually believe that Adam and Eve are created as a kind of rescue project for the cosmos. Where they, because um, Scott Hahn brings us out that the word for the serpent in the Hebrew can mean dragon. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when the serpent is in the garden, it's a very threatening figure, mm-hmm. right? And so Adam and, and, and what ought to have happened is in a way, Adam ought to have offered his life to protect Eve mm-hmm. from the serpent mm-hmm. and he didn't. 
and so that because that would have been the right worship yeah to offer your because and you so you get this um you get this read through the cross so i'm reading this through the cross that this idea that in a way man was always meant to offer his life for another in order to destroy the power of sin and death Mm. but adam and eve failed and thus even man felt was was kind of succumbed to this now i know it's not perfect and it's something i've been thinking about but it's just this idea that this is where the worship is in the garden and this is where it's meant to culminate in is an offering of self for the life of another yeah i like that a whole bunch and i think it's something we 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 can forget about um Mm -hmm. what what saint paul says very clearly is that our battle is against spiritual powers Mm -hmm. as long as we forget about this cosmic war that we are uh, mm-hmm. a part of and this is great when dave van vickle came and gave a talk at my parish he like you know talked about this and talked about what some of the church fathers said about the the fall and the angels and that sort of stuff but like yeah that's that's a whole part of this cosmic story that we are yeah. a part of yes and and that's the idea is that i'm bringing it back to this is that adam's the the culmination of the worship in the garden was supposed to be this offering of life because mm. that is right worship it's to say my life is yours yeah it is not my own because that is what happens in the Trinity. The reason yes. you can have three persons in the Trinity is that they all say to each other, my life is not my own, it is yours. Mm-hmm. The infinite being of God is thus eternally offered between all three persons where they do not hold their life as their own. Mm-hmm. And if we are created in God's image, then that ought to be the way we we live as well, which is worth. And that is a way of worship. Yeah. It's, give, it's giving the substance of life so that another may live. Right. That's why this whole like love of neighbor thing is so yeah. important to the whole faith. And this is another thing why we worship, because in a way, then the liturgy really trains us in this whole way of being. Yes. It trains us it's in saying, morality. Yeah, exactly. It's saying everything I do is about giving my life for the sake of another. Boom. Yeah. That's, that's why we worship. Yeah. Good. I love it. Cool. That was perfect. Yeah. Um, cool. So before we go out, just to say, uh, if you are in the Notre Dame area, uh, we will be at, once oh, let me get my, my, uh, my, uh, calendar here. We were going to be, we're going to be giving a panel on social media and friendship at Notre Dame university on November 7th from three fifteen to four forty-five. Uh, so come on out if you're in the area or you want to come out to the area. Uh, there's mass afterwards at the Basilica and we're, we're, going to put together a little Twitter meetup for that night as well. Yeah. Uh, we just got to figure out the location. So yeah. come on out and say hi. It'll be me, my uh, Father Anthony, Shannon Last, Jeff Pajanowski is going to be our chair, and even Sister Teresa Alathea is going to be there. And that's that's the real draw, right? Is that's the real see draw. Sister. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to remember that you're going to die. And she's exactly. there to remind you of she's, this, right? She will so, remind us all. Yeah. So make sure to come and check out and say hi. And we'll probably be recording a pod. We will. No, not probably. We will be recording a podcast. I'm driving out there. I'm bringing the equipment. While we're there. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at FR Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. Contact the podcast to receive updates at ClericalBot on Twitter. Email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Go to clericalspeaking.com. Clericalspeaking on Facebook. Although we got to talk to producer Nick to start updating those things. But, you know, we got to work on that. But still, that's where we are. God bless you. Peace.